Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Alrighty, welcome back. I apologize for going too long. It's all Joe Yurden's fault. He's he's gonna be charging me overtime too. There's no doubt about it. Our next guest joining me on the Western Hotline, Ryan Talbot, another fine gentleman as well. He covers the Bills for New York Upstate and the Shout Buffalo podcast with my guy Matt Perino as well. Ryan, good uh, good afternoon to you, my friend. I hope I'm the first one to, to wish you a good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon to you too, and you certainly are. Well, that's all that matters, my friend. I hope things are well with you and the family. Um, while we uh, while we digress here and while we get into what I think is the next most important game, and it's not, Ryan, because it's the next game. But it is the next game, and it is the most important game because it is the next game. But it's the most important game, Ryan, because this sort of feels like a turning point for the Bills in this season. They got everything last week to go right for them, right? I mean, they get the win and head-to-head um, – and then they go out and they get to kick their feet up, have a couple of beers on a Sunday afternoon and watch everything that they needed to happen happen. The Dolphins lost, the Kansas City Chiefs lost, and boom, they find themselves back in the top position in both the AFC and the AFC East. With a win today, and you know, or tomorrow I should say, and, and we'll see what happens with the Dolphins and, and, and Chargers on Sunday Night Football. I know that's going to be kind of appointment television for folks tomorrow night as well. How important do you maybe view this game as because of what's to come or you view this game as important because you're actually and maybe I'm in this this camp too is as I do really view the New York Jets especially now with the level of competent quarterback play they didn't have earlier in the season it's like a true threat and and I think if you lose this game Ryan you open the door back up for the Jets to potentially backdoor their way with a win out for the rest of the season to win the AFC East and that's kind of crazy to think about yeah, it's very crazy to think about it. I'm not sure if I'm there yet with the Jets. I know Mike White is more competent than Zach Wilson throwing the ball around, uh, but he also throws a lot of interceptable balls that I think that uh, the Bills could potentially take advantage of tomorrow afternoon. Uh, the last time they played Mike White, he threw four in- interceptions in that game last year. I believe he has 10 interceptions in six career games. So uh, he-, he puts the ball up. He puts it at risk a little bit. So I think there's going to be some chances for this team uh, tomorrow to get the, those turnovers. But listen, the, the Jets are a completely different team than one year ago. Uh, Robert Saul has done a really good job building up this roster, same with Joe Douglas. But they obviously whiffed on the most important position, that being quarterback. But th- they found a lot of pieces in the draft, which, again, when you have a lot of high picks, you should be able to hit on those uh, and free agency. So it, it's going to be a tough test. This is a team that already knocked off the Bills once this season. They got to Josh Allen a lot in that game. They did. Five sacks, two interceptions. 
Uh, so Allen has to play a pretty clean game for them to win this, but the Bills are a completely different team from that first matchup as well for a variety of reasons, starting with the run game. They've really started to lean on that the last six weeks. Um, you, you've seen them averaging 154 yards per game, and, and it's not just the Josh Allen show running the ball. Devin Singletary has been solid all year long, and, and James Cook is starting to find a more consistent role as a runner and also as a receiver where you're seeing him get a lot of yards after the catch, and uh, he's running with more confidence too. Yeah, let's let's kind of maybe zero in here on James Cook. Like to you, is it truly just like he was a young raw in terms of NFL wise raw running back coming off of a program that listen he's not a guy like I think I saw numbers that Najee Harris had more touches his senior year at Alabama than the four years combined that James Cook had at Georgia. And I, I think you look at that maybe lack of experience as a positive when he's coming out, right? Like he doesn't have the mileage that Najee Harris has. He doesn't have a lot of the wear and tear running backs have that are bell cows at the college level, especially in the SEC, Ryan. But I think maybe that lack of experience to hurt him coming into a team that I think was really searching for him to maybe make a more immediate impact. You keep hearing things that Sean McDermott and even Josh Allen will talk about practice a lot with James Cook and the things that they're seeing in practice. And he's starting to really, you're starting to see him turn it on at practice. And this is a team, this is an organization, Ryan, that values that practice time, you know, like being sharp and using that practice to apply things that you're going to do during that game week. And maybe part of this equation why we're seeing more of him but not just more of him seeing that success is that that success as well is maturity and learning the job of being a professional athlete which I think a lot of people maybe take for granted yeah I, I think that's some fair talking points starting first and foremost with the Georgia talking point he was part of a committee you said it yourself uh so he wasn't getting those heavy workloads which coming into the league that's what you want if you're a GM you want someone that has those fresh legs but He's also lacking that experience. So he comes into Buffalo. He has Devin Singletary in front of him. And at the start of the year, he has Zach Moss in front of him. And when you have three backs, you really don't have a back at all. And it's hard to get those guys going one or two when you're trying to spread the ball around. So uh, in the first half of the season, he only had one game where he had double-digit carries, and that was the blowout win against the Titans. Average almost four yards per carry in that game. Uh, but a, a lot of it had to do with the game being out of hand. And it was zero, four, two, you know, a handful of carries. And then a few weeks ago against the Browns, he gets 11 carries. He he's rushes for 86 yards, almost eight yards per clip. Uh, and, and then against the Patriots, he's getting 14 carries, 64 yards, averaging over 4.5 yards per carry. So he's starting to see his workload increase. Uh, that means, he, and he's also getting more reps at practice since that Zach Moss trade. I know they traded for Heem Hines and, uh, Hines hasn't really factored in the offense yet, but he's more of a pass catching back than anything else. So that shouldn't really factor into the practice reps for cook running the ball. And, uh, you're, you're seeing a much more confident back, someone that knows the system pretty well now. And I think that role is going to continue to expand. And Oh, by the way, you still have Devin Singletary who is running the ball very well for this team. Uh, always seems to kind of get forgotten about, uh, on, from the outside, that is. But he is a solid back, and he does his job well. I think the Bills have been more um, – they have not been as pass-heavy as of late, and that's benefited Josh Allen in this offense because it has made defenses have to play the run and respect the run. And I don't know, Ryan, like I, I keep thinking about how this offense should look and, and how they should be using things. Is, do you get the sense – like I, I feel like I'm starting to feel this way, but do you get the sense – 
that Ken Dorsey in this offense might be forcing it a little bit, trying to integrate Naeem Hines. I Listen, I know you go out and make the trade for him, and he is one of the top 15 highest-paid running backs in football, if you can believe that. He really is. He's one of the most – he's one of the highest-paid running backs in football, which should go to show you how many people just – or how many teams actually pay their running backs. It's not many. Um but it, it does at times feel like the touches are forced and they're not really the most organic thing. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. And uh, they're not traditional carries. They're trying to get him to utilize that speed. But there's almost something that the defense, when he's on the field, they know to kind of, you know, keep an eye on him right now. They've been kind of forcing it to him a little bit, trying to get him into this offense. And it really hasn't worked to date. Uh, I would just like to see him run some routes and yeah. get him open as a pass catcher. I like how, what he's brought to the table as a punt returner and a kick returner. And, and obviously that wasn't what they had in mind when they traded for him, not just being a pure punt returner, kick returner, and that's it. They want to utilize him in this offense. But figure out what that role is. Don't press it too much at this point. And then hopefully by the time the playoffs roll around, though, you do have a set role for him on offense. You still utilize him in the return game and he's paid dividends in that game there's been a there's been a few games where he has flipped the field for the team he's given them really good field position he's had over 100 return yards uh as a punt return and kick returner. so he, he's done a nice job since coming to the bills uh but you're right don't force it on offense i think ken dorsey you know he's still trying to figure out what this offense is and I guess that's to be expected when you're a first-time offensive coordinator. And you're starting to see some signs of growth, though. They've gotten better in the red zone the past few weeks. Uh, Stefan Diggs has been outstanding all season. You're seeing a little bit from Isaiah McKenzie in ter- terms of stacking performances. The run game's going. So you're hoping that they're starting to really figure this out. They can kind of put the, the foot on the gas pedal, so to speak, uh, against the Jets late in the season, kind of like last year after they had, they had that letdown. Uh, where they couldn't complete the comeback against Tampa Bay. But after that game, you know, it was kind of smooth sailing for this team. They were playing really well on both sides of the ball entering the playoffs. Uh, I think this is the point of the year where the Bills have to really, you know, buckle down and, and show that they are truly a threat to win this number one seed where they're currently slotted in the AFC. Ryan Talbot here in New York Upstate joining me on the Western Hotline talking Bills Jets. And, you know, I, I want to ask you, too, it's at least assumed right now, based on what he has done at practice this week, and Sean McDermott did not rule out Deion Dawkins and really wasn't even mentioned uh, yesterday on his uh, on his weekly show with Sal and Joe here on the Extra Point Show. Um, the return of Deion Dawkins, how much will that matter, do you think, on how Ken Dorsey calls plays in this game? This is a Jets defensive line, like you mentioned. I think maybe he's had the most success in recent memory, not just this season, Ryan, but really probably the better part of the last two or three seasons, I saw the most consistent success of getting to Josh Allen, which I think had a residual effect for the rest of the game. Like getting those early pressures, I think started a lot. Like started having Josh force things later on in that game and started making the mistakes that we saw him make making crunch time in that game. And, and I'm, I'm wondering, like obviously Dion was healthy for that game, but over the last couple of weeks, you've really seen this team almost take Dawson Knox out of the equation entirely. You've seen a bunch of Bobby Hart. You've seen David Questenberry play. Right? Like You've just seen this team have to sort of modify who they are to make sure they've got things protected. And that's not something that I think we're used to seeing. And, and with Dion Dawkins back, are you expecting maybe this is a team that trusts their front five a little bit? bit more this week and maybe we see more of Dawson Knox yeah I would like to think so listen Deion Dawkins is uh, obviously their best offensive lineman he's he's when he's healthier it's close to healthy he is someone that locks it down for the majority of the game at left tackle he might have one slip up or two just like any other player but if, if he's not out there it's a completely different offensive line 
Uh, Questenberry, to his credit, was playing with a bad ankle the last time he started for uh, Deion Dawkins. But even if he was healthy, it would not be the same level of play. Uh, the last matchup, they were actually without Spencer Brown. So, you know, you know, they were without some of their starters last game. They're hoping Deion Dawkins is back for this one. Because if you do have your starting offensive line, that's going to help them, obviously, protecting Josh Allen, keeping him upright, limiting those hits. Uh, but it's also going to help in the run game. They're not going to be without Reggie Gilliam. And, and you know, that's a uh, something where Gilliam's done a nice job as a lead blocker, he, getting out there, making plays for those backs. So it'll be interesting to see how they play without him. But obviously, Deion Dawkins is going to be a big key to this game, having him on the field. And, and the same can be said for Matt Milano, who's also listed as questionable going into this one. These are two guys that they need. They didn't have Milano in the first matchup. Uh, that allowed the Jets' offense to exploit some things in the middle of the defense. So, Coming into this game a, a little bit healthier, obviously no Jordan Phillips, no Gilliam, uh, but the inactives list isn't going to look nearly as bad this week as it did uh, the first matchup where it was Brown, Milano, Trey White, Jordan Poyer, and Tommy Sweeney. Ryan Talbot here of New York Upstate, the Shout Podcast with our guy Matt Perino as well, joining me on the Western Hotline. Let's talk a little bit more about this Jets team. Obviously, Mike White's the story, but this is a team that's hurting right now, especially at the running back position. We know the trials and tribulations they've been uh, they've they've been through this season up front on the offensive line, but they've really kind of powered through really well with a lot of uh, sort of band aids at the offensive line position. Dwayne Brown starting to play better. Uh, they got George Fant. Like they, they've got some pieces that are playing better football for them, which. I think if you go back to the beginning of the season, they lose Elijah Vera Tucker. They lose uh, just so many pieces across that offensive line for them to be playing at the level that they're playing at right now and still running the football without Brees Hall. I think is a testament to what the offense has been under Mike under Mike Lafleur. But overall, when you look at this offense, Ryan, like outside of maybe just like how dynamic Garrett Wilson can be when the ball gets to him and gets to his hands, like maybe what makes you the most nervous about how this offense is currently constructed compared to like what the defense is going to have and, and maybe they'll be without Matt Milano. But I think the big interchange for me in this game, Ryan, is if Matt Milano isn't playing, A.J. Klein steps in instead of Terrell Bernard. And, and I think Terrell Bernard really struggled in that first matchup. Oh, he struggled big time in that first matchup. So having A.J. Klein uh, as an option in this game is a big, uh, step up. Obviously, he, he struggles in coverage at times, but the, there's few linebackers like Matt Milano in terms of their ability to cover. Uh, so you're right, that's a step up. But in terms of the Jets' offense, you're right, they're running the ball well. It was Zonovan Knight against the Vikings, uh, averaging six yards per carry in that matchup. Uh, James Robinson didn't do much in that game. They had, you know, they have Robinson, uh, they have Ty Johnson. Outside of Garrett Wilson, they still have some weapons, too, in, in terms of their receivers. Corey Davis wasn't in that first match against the Bills. He had a nice outing uh, against the Vikings over 80 yards receiving. Uh, the one thing that would make me a little bit nervous is Mike White doesn't seem afraid to throw the ball to Elijah Moore, someone that was pretty much forgotten about with Zach Wilson in the lineup. I think that Elijah Moore last year looked like a, a solid up-and-coming player, and, and then he was just kind of forgotten about this year. Uh, he's another threat, C.J. Uzama. They have some guys on this offense. It is uh, a big step up from where they were in terms of their weapons and play. It just comes back to Mike White for me. Uh, I think that they're not going to be as conservative in this matchup, where in the first match against the Bills, uh, those Zach Wilson throws were just taking the safe, easy options, getting it to Garrett Wilson, and, and it worked for them. They, they ended up leaving with a 20-17 win. Uh, Mike White, though, seems to push the ball down the field more, try to throw some passes into tight windows. Uh, I think he ended up with two interceptions last week. It might have been a third, but 
Um, there were four or five interceptable passes in that game that I saw that two defenders ran into each other for the Vikings. Some others were batted up in the air and just weren't uh, hauled in by any defenders. He puts the ball up for grabs. And with this defense, with Edmonds, with potentially Milano, obviously with Trey White back there, Jordan Poyer back there, I really think they're going to be able to get some turnovers against this team, and that's going to be the biggest difference in the, from the first game to the second game. Ryan, one thing I wanted to ask you about this Jets defense before I let you go is, listen, a lot is made about what they're able to do on the outside in the boundary corner, Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed. I mean, maybe the two, maybe the best duo of outside corners, boundary quarters in football right now. Um, having said that, there are areas in this defense that are vulnerable, that you can exploit. They are not particularly good up the middle in the, uh, you know, like their, their slot corner game. Um, they, their linebackers are good downhill run stoppers, but they, they lack some things, especially C.J. Mosley at this point in his career does not have the range and ability that he had when he was a younger player. And Quincy Williams is kind of a, a bigger run stuffer. So with all that being said, like, do, does it feel like maybe the Bills' best opportunity this time around is really attacking the middle of the field? And then I'm kind of thinking if the answer is yes, then that's got to be James Cook and, 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 and for me, Dawson Knox, as, as kind of how you do that with a pass game, right? Yeah, I would think so. I think attacking the middle, like you said, is a good way of doing it. And, and, you know, the two players you mentioned, Cook and Knox, make a ton of sense. It's utilizing the the slot uh, receiver. Isaiah McKenzie's put some nice games together. I'm still waiting for them to maybe start lining up Naheem Hines in that role a little bit. You can move Stefan Diggs around in this uh, offense where I don't think you're going to see Sauce Gardner following him. He really didn't. Uh, follow him much at all in that first game. He got beat on the double move early. And then a, a lot of the game was, uh, it seemed to be that DJ Reed was in uh, Diggs' area. But you can move Diggs around. You can play him in a slot at times. Uh, attack the middle. Attack the weakness. Uh, take what they're giving to you. Because we've seen from Cook, for example, who you mentioned, he's been really good with the yards after the catch. He, he catches it now. He has that good vision, good speed. Uh, he can turn it upfield and get those extra yards that they need. So, Allen, as long as you can keep him upright, protect him a little bit better in this game, I think you're going to see a, a much better game plan. Having this extra, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it, almost like a mini bye week uh, to get extra time for the film, see what we can learn from the last game, see what they look like on film against the Vikings. Uh, I, I think that the Bills are going to come with a much better game plan to attack this Jets defense. All right, Ryan, appreciate you, brother. Uh, enjoy the game tomorrow. Enjoy uh, Army-Navy if you're an, uh, an enjoyer of triple option football like me. I know I will. Uh, I know there's France-England today. So it's a great, uh, although college football regular season is officially over, uh, still a, a, a great weekend for support. So I appreciate you, buddy. Thanks for taking the time, and uh, we'll see each other soon. All right, sounds great, Nate. All right, Ryan Talbot there of New York Upstate on our Western Hotline. I'm going to take a timeout because on the other side, I got my next guest of the afternoon, Will Parkinson. He covers the Jets. He's got the Turn on the Jets podcast. We're going to talk to him and get a little more inside scoop on what this Jets team is all about a couple of weeks after beating the Bills at home. So uh, don't go anywhere. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday. This is Nate Geary here on WGR. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Modelo. If you've persevered through... 
you deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp and refreshing taste. Or if you overcame, you deserve this ice cold reward. Medela, the Markable Fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, welcome back. Ross Tucker, of course, every Thursday with Mike Schoep and the Bulldog. We'll have him for you playing back in our 1.30 hour. If you missed that on Thursday, love playing that back in our Saturday afternoon slot. But let's go back to the Western Hotline now because Will Parkinson joins me from Turn on the Jets podcast, which I was featured on earlier this week. He does great work. You could follow him on Twitter at WillPA11. Will, thanks so much for joining me, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me on, man. No, my pleasure. Um, so we talked a little bit about this matchup, and I'm I'm interested in, you know, short of just kind of knowing where the Jets are right now, they already have a win over this Bills team, uh, maybe outside of what has happened earlier on this season, like maybe what's the vibe amongst Jets fans of, of why there's a true confidence that they can do it not just once, but do it again? Yeah, I mean, the roster is just, you know, so much improved from, from a year ago and, you know, kind of years past. They've, they're pretty talented across the board, you know, skill position-wise, you know, both on both sides of the ball in the trenches. Um, they're well coached on both sides of the ball. I, I think people feel really confident about the head coach, about the general manager for the first time and, you know, God knows how long. And, you know, we're right now, you know, there's the confidence that, you know, is around Mike White and, you know, the way he – he kind of galvanizes the rest of the room and, you know, they had, you know, they're wearing the, the Mike White t-shirts and just this team has got a different feel to it. They've won games maybe they, sh- they you know, they shouldn't have. And then they've also beaten teams um, in the past, you know, going into Pittsburgh, you know, Green Bay, places where it might not be the, the teams of old, you know, at those places, but the Jets never win there. And they won there this year, you know, in addition to beating Miami and Buffalo for the first time in, uh, in a couple of years. So there's a lot of confidence around the fan base that, they kind of they finally figured out the uh, the right nucleus of this team. So maybe outside of the things that are commonly known, and if you watch this Jets offense since Mike White has taken over, you know maybe past the eye test, I think it's very obvious that there is a different vibe in the locker room since Mike White took over. And not just since Mike White played football, but really since the announcement was made. There has been, you know, I would almost call it like a borderline uncomfortable amount of public displays of affection for Mike White that simply were not there for Zach Wilson. And, you know, I think you could point to a lot of things, but I, I think I look at that and, and I see that as like a, it's almost like the Josh Allen effect. And when Josh came into Buffalo, his rookie season, like he wasn't a world beater. There were a lot of issues with his game. The Bills were not a good football team in 2018. And yet there was this overwhelming sense of confidence from the team and, and, and support for Josh Allen. He was really able to like kind of rally the troops, so to speak. And I'm sort of seeing the same kind of thing in New York. And is it is just as simple as saying like, 
what he does in practice and how this how this team respects him as like maybe just not just a guy that that throws the football, but as like a true leader in the locker room. And I mean, Zach Wilson had a C on his chest for God's sake. So like, I, I, how do you maybe describe the shift in vibes since Mike White has been named starting quarterback? Yeah, there was a there was a story this week that you know they passed out the uh, you know top 100 NFL players list that you know they do in the off season and apparently a bunch of Jets wrote Mike White down to that list so it's 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 become kind of a phenomenon like the fan base you know New York you know whether it's Buffalo or you know or New York City everyone kind of grab you know gravitates to that underdog kind of story um, you know Mike White's just kind of the adult in the room um, I guess that's the best way to phrase it you know that Robert Sala talked about it and you know he's just a guy that you know Mike White's kids and Robert Sala's kids hang out and you know last year when they were you know together and uh, you know Robert Sala was living in the team hotel and like all these different the I mean, park complex and all these different things and these guys just there's a calmness about him when he's in the huddle um, you know you see some of the throws he makes the throw on fourth down um, I don't think you know I don't think you see that throw from Zach Wilson even if he's capable of making it it's just he plays with this you know kind of a rational confidence Mike White said last year after his first uh, first start he's like I know I went in the fifth round but I'd be, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, like, I thought I should have been the number one overall pick. Obviously, he wouldn't have been the number one overall pick, but it's just that confidence he plays with, but then also the kind of maturity and being the adult in the room. Um, you know, like I mentioned, the adult in the huddle, and these guys kind of feed off that energy, and, you know, they like playing with him. You know, he practices hard. He first went in, last went out, all the, you know, all those kind of cliches, but, you know, he, he puts them all in a really good, you know, an advantageous situation, getting them to football, and I think these guys, you know, whether it's Flacco or Mike White or Zach Wilson, whoever it might be, they just want to be, you know, they want the ball in their hands and be able to get put in a good situation to make plays. And, you know, he's doing the best job of that. So between the play on the field and then, you know, the culture kind of, you know, that backup quarterback underdog story, you know, multiple time transfer, you know, fifth round pick, practice squad guys been cut the whole nine yards. And then, you know, he's come out and he's had some, you know, pretty electric performances. So I think these guys just, you know, gravitate towards him. Somebody mentioned the way, but Josh, Adam like, yeah, when your teammates love you on and off the field, it's uh, and you're producing on it, it makes your job a lot easier. Will Parkinson here on our Western Hotline. Will uh, has a podcast called Turn on the Jets. Uh, I was on earlier this week with him. Does a great job over there. You can follow him on Twitter at Will P A. Uh, hold on, it's it's eleven, right? One one. Yes, of course. Yeah, um, it's 11, yeah. <laughs> so you know, obviously. A lot has been made of this Jets offense and the turn they've taken since Mike White has been in. But talk a little bit about the injuries at running back because it feels like, you know, you guys are kind of at this point piecing together guys um, that maybe aren't the most well-known names but are still getting the job done. I think a lot of that probably also has to do with the continuity and and really the the better play of this offensive line as they continue to get healthier and healthier. Yeah, the offensive line will be healthier than, you know, the matchup from uh, from four weeks ago. Um, George Fant is back. Max Mitchell came back as well and then actually went out with blood clots. He's out for the year now. Um, it's a pretty scary situation. They found uh, they found earlier this week. But, you know, George Fan being back, there's kind of some good chemistry now. Nate Herbig's played. Uh, he's done a nice job for them, you know, filling in a right guard for Elijah Vera Tucker, who is on his way in the second-year pro to being an all-pro. Um, so, you know, there's that. So the offensive line's definitely starting to play better. And Mike White gets the ball quicker. But also, um, you know, you mentioned the running back position. You know, we talk a lot about it. Brees Hall is a guy that, you know, anyone that's in the fantasy community is obsessed with, obviously. And you look at the way he produced on the field, he's a big play waiting to happen. You know, that kind of story that, you know, the Jets went in Denver, Brees Hall, 70-yard, um, you know, 70-yard uh, touchdown run. Um, but he's, you know, explosive player goes out of the torn ACL. Michael Carter, who was a fourth-round rookie last year, showed some promise. We'll be back for this game this last week uh, in the majority of the week before the sprained ankle. So, 
Um, you know, he'll be back. But, you know, the, the main name to watch on Sunday is Donovan Knight or Bam Knight, uh, undrafted rookie out of North Carolina State. Really nice player as a junior, has, uh, has shoulder surgery, kind of comes back and isn't fully healthy. And, you know, the Jets get him in as an undrafted free agent. Uh, you know, was supposed to be potentially like a fourth or fifth round pick. You know, slips out of the you know slips out of the draft. One of those you know, for, no one has really any idea why. Ends up with the Jets at a really nice preseason, nice camp. Runs, he's really hard to tackle. Runs incredibly hard, um, and has had two you know really really impressive games to start you know his NFL career. So um, the running back position is definitely you know running back by committee at this point, and it's a lot of kind of lesser known names. But you know, Donovan Knight's a guy that. Um, you know, you kind of bring, you got to bring your hard hat to tackle him. He's certainly a guy that's going to look to run you over and, um, you know, shown some nice promise for a guy, you know, failing in for, you know, someone as prestigious as Bruce Hall was to start his career. Now, tell me a little bit about maybe what you've seen from the emergence of Garrett Wilson and, and a lot of that obviously probably being tied to the insertion of Mike White into the lineup. But man, it just, it seems to me that. This sort of is, listen, not to take anything away from what Chris Olave has done this year in New Orleans, um, because he truly looks like he's going to be on his way to being a true number one wide receiver in the NFL as well. But I, I think I look back, and I think we'll look back two, three, four years down the line at this draft class at the wide receiver position that featured, I think, some names like Drake London. I'm still maybe not turning the page on. I'm excited to see what he does with Spencer Ritter at quarterback and not Marcus Mariota, who just you know can't throw outside the numbers. Um, like I, I look at Garrett Wilson as maybe he's going to be the guy from this draft class you look back and said like like he's the number one talent in that draft class and maybe he could have and probably maybe should have been a top five pick yeah no Gary Wilson's a special player he's special in college I think for whatever reason there was like you know some question of oh is he you know almost too emphatic on the way he runs routes does he do, does he do too much at the catch point and like you know former basketball player you know insane you know vertical contested catch guy which you don't expect from a guy who's you know six foot maybe 185 pounds soaking wet. Uh, but, no, he's really, you know, in the four or five game, I believe the five games he's played with Joe Flacco and Mike White, he's put up, you know, numbers pacing at, you know, 100 catches, 1,500 yards, 10 touchdowns as a rookie, which is insane, obviously. Um, the game says that Wilson maybe not so much, you know, obviously, but still a guy that's, you know, going to break the Jets' rookie record for receptions. Most likely will be break, you know, could break the Jets' rookie record for receiving yards this week. He's about 50 to break Keyshawn Johnson's record from 1996, I believe. Um, and then, you know, he's a guy that, you know, should be 11, 1,200-yard receiver at a minimum every year. A lot of people comped him in the draft, too. You know, obviously, you know, Stephon Diggs was a, a popular comp and just the away, the body type, the away, you know, ability to make contested catches, make catches at the catch point, you know, in the intermediate short game as well. And then the route running is, is special. So um, he's not a guy I think anyone's going to be trying to cover one-on-one anymore. I think he's a guy that, you know, you're going to shift your, you know, your coverage and, you know, he's a guy everyone's going to be kind of keying in on, uh, but he's been a special player. And I think, you know, when he came out and ran four, three at the combine, I, I think everyone was like, wow, there's no way this guy's not going to be a top 15 pick, top 10 pick. And the Jets were thrilled he was there. Um, you know, obviously, you know, guys like Jake London, Chris Olave are nice, you know, nice players. And I think have bright futures, as you mentioned, but uh, I'm not sure there's a, a higher ceiling you know, in this class, maybe Jamison Williams eventually, but there's not sure there's a higher ceiling than Garrett Wilson. Um, you know, and the Jets are they're kind of in a nice position where the likely favorite for offensive rookie of the year goes down, and they have a guy right behind them who's, you know, could potentially win the rookie of the year from the offensive side of the ball for the first time in Jets history, and then obviously, you know, on the defensive side of Sauce Gardner. So this this rookie class is put together between those three guys, you know, a special, special group, and 
Uh, Garrett Wilson's right at the forefront right now. So the other thing I wanted to ask you about, and, and like, you know, if you were going to do opposition research on yourself, right, and, and let's just say, you know, you look at this Jets defense and you say to yourself, man, there's no doubt the strength of this defense is at the boundary. Um, you look at the edge and, and what they've been able to do. Um, you know, Carl Lawson looks like he's really starting to get back into form following that that you know, injury that he started last year in, in training camp with. And, you know, that, that truly can be an 18-month injury, and I think you're really starting to see him look like the player that, that was flashing during training camp and preseason last year. Um, and obviously the two corners in DJ Reed and, and Sauce Gardner, I mean, these are two absolute studs on the boundary. But if you were to look at this defense, would you agree that maybe if you are maybe worried about one area of the field that the Bills and Josh Allen and this offense could potentially exploit, it, it was the middle of this defense? Yeah, I would agree. I think Michael Carter is a guy um, in, the, in the slot as well. Um, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention him as well. You know, he's a top 10 grade corner right now, according to DFF. And you take that for what you will, but he's done a really nice job out of the slot. So their their corner group is is probably the best, if not one of the best. You know, the defensive line you mentioned, when Elaine was playing at all pro level, the, the edge group, Bryce Huff, obviously, you know, had, you know, obviously hit Josh Allen that injury at the end of the game. Um, you know, all those guys are great. TJ Mosley's a great player. Quincy Williams has come into his own. Um, but there is certain times in coverage where you can potentially get at them. And then the safety position, you know, Joyner and Whitehead are both nice players. Whitehead's had, um, you know, it's actually a couple of drops interceptions. The stat line probably should look a little bit better, but they do have times where the tackling's not as, as sharp as need be. And there was a play last week where uh, Kirk Cousins got, you know, kind of crushed and, and threw it up and um, both safeties didn't turn their head in time. So I would say that, you know, going forward here and, and specifically this weekend, the safety position, um, and whoever's playing, you know, next to C.J. Mosley um, or guys that in, in coverage, you think you might have a bit of, um, you know, that's where Dawson Knox and James Cooks of the world, um, you know, I, I think could play a big role in this game. And, you know, the two or three plays that they make on potentially, you know, a third and seven, you know, beating, you know, one of the linebackers, you know, if it's James Cooks or Dawson Knox, uh, be able to take advantage of LaMarcus Joyner or Jordan Whitehead in coverage. I think that's where you'll see, uh, you know, you see a pretty clear advantage Whereas on the outside, I think, you know, it's, you know, we saw what we kind of, we were going to expect, you know, uh, you know, three or four weeks ago where the Jets are going to try to have anybody but Stephon Diggs beat them. And, you know, it's probably a pretty smart strategy. I also envision a scenario, and, and I know, like, the first play of the game or whatever it was, was Diggs against uh, Sauce Gardner. We didn't really see that matchup too many more times. And I think, you know, the game plan in that game was they wanted to deploy Stephon Diggs from the slot. So I think that the Bills understood that the place to attack this defense was the middle of the field. But for some reason, although Stephon Diggs lined up a ton in the slot, there wasn't this – I don't think there was a really smart, nuanced game plan on how to attack the middle of the field because you didn't see a lot of Dawson Knox. You certainly didn't see a lot of James Cook. So I, I'm really interested in the chess match that happens in this game because, you know, I think the Bills have revenge on their mind. I think that they are – They've probably they had the extra what three or four days to prepare for this matchup that the Jets didn't. Um, I think that'll have some kind of bearing on on being able to self scout and and you know I know from my time here you know being around the team covering the team it's like you know they're one of the better self scouting teams in the league. I don't suspect they make the same mistakes, Will, but I I do wonder like. You know, can this Jets defense force a turnover or two? Because that really might be what this game comes down to. I, I'm maybe not buying the spread. Um, I still, I think this is going to be a very close game, and it might come down to who, which team turns the ball over last. Yeah, you mentioned you know the Jets. The, the thing the Jets said better than I think anybody's done all year. Um, they've only given up a 225 yard passer once all year. That was Week Three against Cincinnati, which was primarily on two really big plays that you know got corrected. That was the famous Quinn Williams blow up on the sideline. Um, they've been a top two defense in the NFL since then. So um, 
they did a really good job mixing up coverages with Josh Allen. They would, you know, show him, you know, cover two or cover three and drop into quarters and drop into cover six, cover eight. And, you know, did a really good job of kind of fooling him. You saw it on the interception that Sauce Gardner had on uh, what he thought, you know, there's miscommunication with Gabe Davis. But I just don't think Josh read the defense, you know, properly in that one. There was a play that Jordan Woods had actually dropped um, where, you know, they tried to target the middle of the field and he just they misread the defense. The Jets rolled the safety down to the box that he didn't see. So, um, I, I wonder how much they're going to try to do that again, mix up coverages. But yeah, the turnover battle is huge. You know, when the Jets, for, you know, they want one, the red zone, the turnover battle, I think is what it comes down to, right? The Jets were able to punch a touchdown in, you know, have that 10, 9, 10 minute drop, whatever it was at the end of the game, get 10 points out of that. They didn't turn the football over other than the one fumble. Um, and then Josh had, you know, two turnovers and then two other potential turnovers, and one of them was in the red zone. So if the Bills can capitalize in the red zone, you know, score touchdowns, not kick field goals, and not turn it over. Um, you know, then you could see, you know, something close to what that spread looks like. You know, if the Jets don't turn the football over a lot and they are able to convert, you know, uh, you know, one or two of those field goals from last week into touchdowns or whatever it might be, I think this is a really close game. I think I don't mean you talked about it. I, I'm not sure I'd buy a division rival game being the biggest, second biggest spread of the weekend. Um, I think that has something to do yeah. with, you know, Mike White's performance last year, you know, up, you know against, the, I mean, against the Bills. But um, I just think that you know, I see more of a 24-20, 27-20 type of game um, than I do, you know, double-digit yeah. you know, blowout level game. And maybe it happens. Mike White turns back no pumpkin. You never know. But <laughs> I would be pretty surprised to see that. Yeah, I agree with you. I, it's a division rival. The Bills lost that first matchup. Yeah, I, I think a, uh, a double-digit uh, spread seems a little crazy to me. All right, I have one more thing for you, and this is going to be a selfish request. I need to know about Corey Davis. Last week, um, 10 targets in that Minnesota game, five catches, 85 yards. His most uh, – or it was, I think it was the – tied for the most targets he's had in the year um, and then maybe maybe the most yards he's had in a game this season. Am I looking too far into that to say that like maybe he's a more consistent number two weapon for this Jets offense than than maybe he was earlier in the season with Zach Wilson? Yeah, so it's weird. Like, Corey Davis last year, Zach almost had like a tendency with Corey where he would feed him the ball and, and kind of get him in trouble, got him in trouble uh, in the New England game uh, last year. And, and, you know, it was his safety blanket. Uh, per se, and then you know, with the emergence of Garrett Wilson, Corey was out. Um, he had one of the weirdest games. It, you know, I would you'll see it probably on Sunday. He'll probably have a drop in the first quarter. Jets fans will go nuts. Um, you know, last week he had two penalties and a drop. Um, you know, early on in that game, and uh, you know, and everyone's like, "Oh God, like this is this is gonna be brutal." And then you know, has two of the biggest, you know, most clutch catches of the game. You know, in the fourth quarter, it's kind of you know, again the ten targets. Um, I think that. You know he's a he's the biggest body receiver that's playing the most amount of the most amount of reps. Um, Denzel Mims, the guy I've made a play at the end of the Bills game. You know, yeah. uh, you know, four weeks ago. But you know, Corey Davis. It's usually Corey, Elijah, and Garrett Wilson. They've, they've started to get Elijah more back involved the last two weeks. Um, I still think that you know the target share will be more so. You know, Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis. Um, a lot of a lot of throws to the back. Tyler Conklin's a guy that had a pretty putrid game a week ago at three drops, which. Um, in his revenge game, yeah, sure right. that was maybe more on the mind. But, um, no, I think it'll be, you know, Garrett Wilson and Corey Davis, the two guys, you, you know, you'd, you'd probably see the most amount of targets and then the backs, whether it's Todd Johnson who's seen me, and Michael Carter who's seemingly, you know, when Mike White's in there, you know, gets six, seven catches a game just from, you know, the simple check down, swing passes, et cetera. So, Corey Davis is a nice player. He just He's very, uh, very polarizing in a way, you know, one quarter he's the worst receiver on the roster and then yeah. the next quarter – 
he looks like uh, the, the former top five that got paid, you know, $13 million a year. Yeah, listen, I know. it's uh, that That is when you don't have the number one guy. Luckily, the Jets do. Uh, a guy like Corey Davis becomes that much more important. I think that that level of pressure yeah, too doesn't. It properly. That's right. That's right. No, and, and that that's important, especially in the NFL, when you can really slot a guy into a number two position that maybe has been over, sort of overcompensated in a one spot. I'm, you know, like the the Bills could probably be the number one answer when they got Stephon Diggs here. So, Will, I appreciate you, brother. Enjoy your weekend, Army Navy. Not sure if you're into that, but I'll be uh, I'll be rooting oh, for uh, for, well, for Army. Navy beat Army, man. Come on. Oh man, see that's where I'm at. Listen, I, as a former triple option quarterback, you'd think my elite. I know, like my high school coach is a big Navy guy. Um, I'm an Army guy. It's just for me, it's the it's the uniforms, it's the underdog mentality. Um, I'm 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 going Army today, but uh, we'll 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 keep in touch on that later on this afternoon. I'm sure, man. I appreciate you. All right, sounds good, man. Thank you. All right, Will Parkinson there of Turn on the Jets podcast. Going to take a timeout, get another timeout in as well. Then we got uh, Greg Thompson to cover one to kind of close out my segment of the show. Again, we'll hear we'll uh, hear from Ross Tucker, who's on the afternoon show on Thursday to close out this afternoon. You're listening to Sports Talk Center here on WGR. Another quick in and out. We've got uh, Greg Thompson at Cover 1 coming up at the top of the hour. We'll uh, kind of close off the uh, conversations around this Bills-Jets matchup before we head over to Army-Navy. And obviously, uh, pregame starts tomorrow at 7 a.m. with uh, Derek and Breakfast with the Bills. Uh, but before all that, we're going to take a timeout, and we'll uh, we'll get to that on the other side. You're listening to WGR.